0: Aloha, I'm Joshua Cooper, and welcome to Cooper Union, what's happening with human rights around our world on Think Tech Live, broadcasting from our downtown studio in Honolulu, Hawaii, and Wananui Today, we're looking at the Ukraine war, administering medical aid, and serving humanity and healing the soul. Aloha, it's good to be here and I want to welcome Michael Baker. Thank you so much for joining us and taking time out of your schedule to share with us some of the important work that you've been doing.
1: Thank you, Josh, for the invitation to speak.
0: When we look at the world, really, we got a lot of attention around February 24th because as DevX reported, the devastating war in Ukraine has killed at least 8,000 civilians and left 17.6 million people needing help. But the daily Attacks are also having another effect on the beleaguered nation as the destruction of hospitals and pharmacies creates a healthcare disaster. Our guest today was there assisting and making sure that he's able to teach a skill set to Ukrainian medical professionals about what's possible with wartime trauma medicine. Could you share with us a bit about what compelled you to go there to Ukraine and what you've been doing since this conflict began?
1: Well, thank you, Josh. It's a a great question. The fact of the matter is, other than watching this uh, unfold before me and something that I never expected to see in my lifetime in Europe, you know, I wondered what I could do at this stage of my career, having put my two prior careers behind me and essentially being retired. When uh, an NGO reached out to me, a non-governmental organization called the International Medical Corps, Reached out to me and said, You know, you're listed as a national instructor for ATLS, which we call Advanced Trauma Life Support. Um, And would you be willing to go to Ukraine and teach Ukrainian medical professionals? And, you know, I knew that they were a legitimate group and they have done a lot of good work around the world. And I said, Of course, I I would be delighted to go. Um, And uh, they linked me up with my other teammates, and we were going to be the first. A group of guys that was going to go and do this, which meant that uh, people were purchasing our equipment and our teaching tools and everything to get it all ready for us. Because here in the U.S., it's all set up for us and instructors just show up. And there we had to kind of do it from uh, with all the basic building blocks from a cold start because it's a country where it hadn't formally been taught before. So, you know, I met my team. We, we got lists of supplies. We got all the things that we needed to run the course. And I felt like, you know, this is something that where I could make a contribution, uh, which was, you know, appropriate for where I am in my professional career, and also what I would consider kind of, you know, age appropriate in the sense that I'm not going to go to the battlefield and, and pick up a rifle and defend Ukraine. That, that's not me. Uh, this was a humanitarian ask, can you go there and teach people how to save lives? And, you know, that, that resonated very much with me, and I was very happy to say yes.
0: And we're so pleased that you did volunteer, not only for that initial mission, but I believe a second one. Can you share with us some of the experiences you had in that initial mission where you went? And then also, why was it so compelling to then go back again and continue this important work with International Medical
1: Corps? So, you know, initially, I really didn't know what to anticipate going into the war zone. Um, But as you've seen in the news lately, getting to Kyiv can be tricky. So that was our first deployment was to Kyiv. Which means flying to Warsaw, uh, then taking a, uh, a, a commuter plane to a small town, sort of near the border, then driving to the border in a van, and then our group actually walked across, and we met a van on the other side. And the reason was is there were the lines at the border of trucks and cars crossing is is miles and miles long, and they didn't want us to sit there for uh, hours and hours. So uh, we then took an eight-hour van ride from the border to Kiev, and um, When we got to Kiev and and got all our stuff unloaded, we, you know, married up with our equipment and got everything set up and ready to go. Uh, Second time I went was a different location. My ultimate destination was Odessa on the Black Sea, which was, you know, got a lot of history. Uh, It's a really interesting place. But to get there, I flew to Bucharest, Romania, and then took a commuter flight to Chisinau, Moldova, two places I never thought I would probably ever be visiting. And then uh, we took our van to the border and, and, and repeated it. It wasn't quite as long a drive, but uh, very different. You know, Odessa has is sort of a beachside resort town, so it has a lot of stuff, you know, restaurants and nightlife. And in both cities, Kiev and Odessa, you know, life was going on. Uh, the only difference was, you know, there's checkpoints and there's armed guards and there's blown up Russian equipment that's on display. And you get when you get there, you install uh, an app on your phone that's an air raid warning, so that when there's incoming trouble, that you you can note it's time to go to the bomb shelter. So we had this on our phone, and it was a very you know high tech way of kind of keeping everybody alert and on top of what was going on and safe.
0: And when you think about the previous roles you've served with John Muir Hospital Surgery Department and also a retired Rear Admiral from the Navy Reserves. Any skills that came from that that was applicable to then try to ease some of the pain and suffering of what people are facing there in Ukraine?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I wasn't doing direct medical care, but I was teaching people how to do what we teach in ATLS. And, you know, it's a it gives them a common language and it gives them kind of an algorithm to follow so that they don't miss anything Um, And it gives them some experience doing life-saving skills that maybe they had never been taught in their training. And we, in fact, had a lot of non-surgeon students in our classes. So, you know, for somebody who practices some other medicine, like, you know, they're a kidney specialist or a cardiologist or, um, you know, an allergist, we were teaching them how to do everything from uh, putting on a tourniquet to doing a surgical airway to make sure somebody could breathe. So, you know, for them, this this was a huge increase in the skill sets that they might find that they would need. And, and in fact, many of them had told me, you know, they were caught very unprepared by the start of the war. Nobody ever dreamed it would really happen. So, you know, they hadn't been looking for these skills and were very grateful to find them. And, and that actually leads me to an, another thing, which was that they were very focused. Uh, all the groups of students that we've had, and, and we've had quite a few, um, you know, because we taught each time we taught two ATLS courses and in between we would teach another course, which I'll talk about in a minute called Stop the Bleed. We had a lot of students and they were just so grateful to have the knowledge. And they were also very good students, quite a few spoke English. And, uh, you know, the ones who didn't, we had translators at our elbow every step of the way. And all the slides and, and videos and things that we utilized were translated into their language. So, uh, we were able to, to really do a, what I thought was a, a pretty good job delivering the information. And I have to say they were not only extremely grateful, but ex- very, very focused on coming away with tools that they could use uh, in the face of this adversity.
0: That's absolutely correct. I know there's nothing like applying what you know and seeing people take that knowledge immediately. And in your case, even more importantly, saving lives. And, you know, as Ukraine war enters its second year and there's more uncertainty, loss, death and destruction, your brave acts as one medical doctor remaining committed to those in need, no matter the conditions, is admirable. And we want you to share a little bit more about what it's like to train the doctors and other medical staff in advanced trauma life support. And I think you also then shared a system for quick response to traumatic injuries, such as those caused even by a Russian missile strike on apartment buildings and specific examples like that.
1: So, yeah, that gives us, you know, a whole area of discussion that's very broad because uh, you have all these people who are going about their normal activities and all of a sudden a a war literally falls on their head. And, you know, as I said, they, they were in many respects, you know, not prepared in terms of, you know, being able to do it, but I have to say, uh, the ukrainians are very patriotic they're extremely educated uh, their ability to pick up new information is very very good and you know they really were very very interested in everything that we could teach so um what i found was that they they were working under tough circumstances uh, when i was there there was still in kiev there wasn't any problem with the electric grid or you know other. Uh, of the things that, you know, infra- infrastructure that keep you having a decent quality of life. And at that time, you know, people were still going out to restaurants. And uh, there was even a performance of the opera one night when I was there. Um, and again, with with the constant uh, presence of your air raid app on your phone and the possibility you might be running for a shelter. But, you know, people went about their lives as best they could. And at the same time, I'm told that perhaps as many as a million uh, Ukrainian civilians signed up for their national defense force in the first few weeks of this event. And, uh, you know, although there's many, many people who had fled Ukraine because of the Russian invasion and the fact they were so close to Kiev, when we were there, we were actually meeting people who had come back and they, you know, would find out, they would hear us speaking English you know, in a restaurant or some bookstore and they'd come want to talk to us and understand what we were doing there. And You know, all we got was immense gratitude because they would say that all they wanted to do was live their lives. All they wanted to do is be able to vote for their own leadership. All they wanted to do was be able to, you know, trade freely, you know, with other people in Europe and travel freely. So for them, this was a, um, a reversal of 30 years of steps towards democracy, you know, and some of those steps were, were difficult, um, but you know the Ukrainians have pushed forward towards democracy, literally since the days of the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Uh, the Ukrainian people voted overwhelmingly for independence. You know they set up their own government. Uh, they actually had a couple of uh, episodes when their government was so apparently corrupt. Uh, that the leadership had to be changed, and that's how we got, you know, Zelensky in as premier when the last leader actually fled to Russia because he was kind of acting as their pawn. But, again, I, I just uh, I found the people that we were teaching were, were knowledgeable and skillful and ready to, you know, absorb all this knowledge in and, and put it to work if they have to, which actually brings me to spend a minute talking about the second course we taught, which was called Stop the Bleed which is also like ATLS uh, sponsored by the American College of Surgeons, of which I'm a member and I'm an instructor for that one as well. So in between our two ATLS courses on our day, break days in between, um, we would teach Stop the Bleed. And this was less for physicians and surgeons doing big traumas, but it was for school teachers and bus drivers and uh, railroad workers and other people to, Simply when that missile hits your building and you have to go assist your neighbor, do you know how to put on a pressure dressing? You know, could you apply a tourniquet? Uh, could you find something to splint a fracture? It's, it's a pretty basic four-hour course. And again, we taught it with interpreters at our elbow and with educational materials that were translated in, into the languages that they w- were asking for. And, you know, everybody uh, left with a, a kit. That included a tourniquet and pressure dressings and some other things and some instructions. Um, And it was just, you know, again, people are incredibly grateful. Uh, Our two tours that I did, and in between, there were some tours with some other groups. And there's ongoing groups going back, of which I may be one. You know, we've gotten a little better at our teaching. You know, our slides are smoother in the language, Uh, our skill stations are stocked with a little better examples. You know, it's always interesting to do this hands-on stuff with a mannequin. When you do education of this kind of work, what you really want to do is you want to give people the textbook, then you want to do the didactic lecture, uh, and then you want to do some kind of a hands-on thing. So we take them right to a skill station where they'll learn how to do the task that we were just lecturing about in the hopes that it will become more automatic. And, uh, you know, I've gotten some feedback besides just like I said, there was tremendous amount of gratitude uh, that this has been extremely helpful for people. Um, and we teach these courses in the U.S. They're very valuable. We teach them to first responders, we teach them to medical personnel, um, and we teach them to you know military people. So I'm, I'm also an instructor for the military. I periodically go to a military base somewhere around the world. And with other of my colleagues, we teach ATLS and STB. So uh, we're really doing in Ukraine, what we do here for our own medical providers and our own military providers to make them as capable of saving lives as possible.
0: Well, your story really does show the full range of even the culture of Ukraine being so rich and resilient, where we know they're playing the opera to soothe the soul. And I've been there in Kiev as well in the past. But then also that decisive moment to take the steps necessary to help one another, that sense of solidarity for one another and how all of our lives are interconnected. And what's exciting about you going from retirement and also all the way over here in a pretty safe and secure space shows that everyone can step up and the skill set that you're sharing then isn't just gonna potentially help, but people are then responding to you sharing what exactly has happened and how that has been because too many bombs are falling on civilians and too many of the attacks are targeting innocents who are not at all on the battlefield. So the skill set you're sharing allows everyone to step up, even if they're not serving in the military, be able to help their fellow Ukrainians to be able to hopefully save a life and limbs as well.
1: So, you know, it's, I felt it was a really, like I said, I was very pleased to have the opportunity because it was something I could do, and it was within my skill set. Um, I think it's important for everybody to be involved in this fight uh, I, an attack on democracy anywhere, especially an unjustified invasion of a sovereign country like this simply to topple the government and absorb it back into Russia is is an attack on democracies everywhere and, and it just you know got me got my blood pressure pretty high to see it happening and uh you know I had to do something other than you know make a, a monetary donation and you know I was very gratified to get this opportunity. I'm very happy to go back. But I, I really feel strongly attack on democracy anywhere is attack on democracies everywhere. And if, if you know, if we don't stand up and help the Ukrainians uh, triumph there in their own country under attack, you know, that when that's over, if the Russians were to, you know, be victorious, they'd push on somebody else, you know, they'd push on Moldova, they'd push on one of the Baltic states. And, you know, eventually, they would continue to cause trouble and mayhem here, which we know that they've done plenty of, particularly like during a a prior election. So, you know, we need to push back because I think democracies woke up because of this war. People realize there is a threat um, that you have to have a military. Your military has to be, you know, funded and tuned up and and ready to go. And you you hope you never need it. You know, that's, that's the thing about preparing for disasters and threats and things like that is you prepare you're ready, you want to try and, you know, prevent it from happening, but if it happens, you want to be able to provide the best response. And if it doesn't happen, you know, it's not really what I would call money poorly spent because you've done this training and the training actually applies to other areas. So, you know, an example would be, I always used, and I teach, taught my students for years, the ATLS algorithms, which basically are A, B, C, D, which A is airway and B is breathing and C is circulation it applies to every crisis in the hospital. You know, it doesn't matter if you're responding to a call of somebody falling, or somebody having a heart attack, or you're getting a trauma patient in the emergency room. If you just do it the same way every time, these skill sets are applicable. So they're, you know, expandable to everything that that we do. And, you know, I think it's it's very good. And you never know when trouble is going to strike, even in our own country. We seem to have uh, a little too much problem with mass shootings and other kinds of crazy things along with you know the disasters we've seen recently with climate people are going to need these skills uh, so i'm hoping that you know we can even push what we're doing in ukraine into more into the community here i know the american college of surgeons works with other groups uh, to teach stop the bleed to teach the uh atls to other providers so it's very important
0: no and you're really thinking a whole bunch of points there with the climate crisis with gun violence, but really even that larger body, the body politic that for prevention, the most important aspect like you were sharing and alluding to earlier with democracy versus autocracy is that it's that culture of human rights that everybody needs to know what their rights are, that they all need to be active citizens in their government. But also since you're based near San Francisco, that beauty of the spirit of San Francisco from 1945, the UN charter that guaranteed first and foremost, Everyone has the right to self-determination so that there wouldn't be illegal invasions across borders, but also that everyone has rights, no matter where they're born on earth. And together we could stand up because as you point out, but as is enshrined in the UN Charter, if the people's rights anywhere are violated, all of our rights are violated. And if we allow it to happen one place, it'll continue. And they knew in San Francisco that if a country is invaded. It's a matter of time till the peace and security of all countries are impacted, so it's having that sense of not waiting too late, but everybody being on alert to be able to volunteer and to make a difference to make sure that if anyone is feeling pain, we can all do something to alleviate that and also be able to set up institutions that are allowing for everyone to thrive in a global world.
1: I think that's a really, really good point, and you know. Historically, I think we were a little slow to respond to the Russian invasion in Georgia and the Russian invasion where they took over Crimea. You know, had we been stronger uh, and you know more definitive, I think maybe we could have forestalled this current event, perhaps. Because uh, there's a great TED talk given by the chess grandmaster Gary Kasparov, who's also uh, an anti-Putin activist who spent time in jail for his opinions, and he says, if you you know if there's any compromise or you give in one inch they will simply rearm and come back at you again in the future. He says it a little more eloquently than that. Uh, But I think his point's well taken. Um, And you mentioned the United Nations Charter in San Francisco. So, you know, whenever I'm in that part of the city, uh, I always made sure my kids and I went by the War Memorial Opera House to read the plaque on the wall so they would appreciate the historical significance. And we also go around back where there's a a very um, interesting poem that is uh carved into the stone out and back and it's it's about war and about how the young dead soldiers do not speak and we must remember them um and you know nobody wants to send their kids off to war or you know go themselves Um, but i think when something as important as democracy is on the line uh, again i'm not going to go pick up a flak jacket and a rifle but there's something i can do you know i can i can teach medical care Uh, There's something everybody can do, whether it's to, you know, help a refugee family that settles in your neighborhood or to, you know, something else like that. I think it's very important for us uh, to not only be behind the Ukrainians, but anywhere else where democracy seems to be threatened by authoritarian uh, regimes, you know, where they can put you in prison for unknown lengths of time or in Russia, where you might just fall out of a window if you have a contrarian opinion. You know, that, that's not the country I want to live, in, and that's not the country I want to leave for my kids and their kids. You know, I, I want us to all be able to vote, have opinions, and have, you know, discourse like we're doing today, and, you know, to feel safe.
0: I, I think those lessons are so valuable, and definitely taking your children. I, I know both of those places in San Francisco, it's one of my favorite places to visit. And it was so historic because it did say, everyone everywhere has these basic rights, but also that we should cultivate a rule of law around the world, and that we have to concentrate on each country, but then also understand the collective, that whole earth democracy to see what we can do together. So having that sense of volunteerism, what do you think more people should do as we're entering the second year? What's the best way that people can get involved what are some of the ways that people can? You're alluding to earlier, which I agree, helping out uh, refugees in your community. I was just in Vancouver, and almost every person you met in Vancouver was either from Ukraine or helping someone over the weekend. So it's great to see that that sense of, of brotherhood and sisterhood. To see what we can accomplish together, and point out that even though it's been a year, the commitment's not unwavering because these universal values. Are something that we need to dedicate our entire lives to, as you've been sharing, and the way that you're doing it exemplifies one example of volunteerism for those universal values.
1: Right. There's there's a, a whole spectrum of things people can do. Um, you know, I have a friend here who has a 501c3 where he collects money and purchases materials for uh, the Ukrainian military and self-defense forces that they specifically request of him. Uh, I know of another one that basically does humanitarian aid and medical supplies i'm personally a big fan of world central kitchen and chef andres who i think ought to be getting the nobel prize uh it doesn't matter if it's a war in ukraine or an earthquake in turkey those guys are there with with some food and, and ready to go and you know i w- what a great thing so there's a thousand different things whether you know it's through your school or through your you know your religious affiliation group or you know, perhaps even just your rotary club or some other service group like that. Uh, there are lots of ways to help. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, like I said, I'm very fortunate that I got to go there and actually do some in-person teaching, which gave me a lot of insight about the people and the culture. And I got to, you know, do a, a lot more in, in investigation to learn about what was going on there. Um, but I think everybody has to be in this fight. Um, and I think you can't be passive. I think if you just watch it, sort of unspool on TV, ne- next thing you know, uh, your ability to to vote or have an opinion could be gone. And I hope that never comes. You know, there's a reason this country has lasted the way it's lasted and why it was so strong for so many years. And there's a reason people want to come here. Um, you know, we are an, an exemplar of what can be in terms of not only being able to express your political opinions but to be able to get an education, to be able to advance in society, uh, to be able to travel freely. Uh, you know, what an amazing thing. When you look at the countries that vote, you know, to support Russia and the United Nations, you know, it's Iran and North Korea. These are not places where any of us are, not only aren't we going to be tourists, but I bet if those people could get out of there and come here, they would, they would want to come here. There's a reason people come here. And, you know, it, it has a lot to do with, everything from the political stuff to the education opportunities to the economic things. And just the fact that, you know, you you can go with the direction that you want to go and be the you know people you want to be, and you can have a better life for your kids, which is probably the most important thing.
0: I think that really comes true. And I agree with you about Chef Andres. I love how he says we don't need to build more walls, but we just need to have longer tables and that, that communication and what you are expressing really talks about, what all parents want, what all humanity wants. It's, it's common aspirations that are enshrined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Those basic 30 articles are exactly what you're saying, that life, you can have your basic needs met, but more importantly, that your children can be better off than you are. And when you look at those countries you're sharing, the ones that are not exactly where you'd want to be, I think that also indicates the direction of what we need to stand for in the world, because there's no guarantee the global order will be what did exist uh, prior to the and after the fall of the Berlin Wall. And we all have to take actions to see what's possible in our own community to promote democracy and rule of law, but then also create a culture of human rights around the planet where everyone agrees to selflessly serve and recognize the humanity in each one of us.
1: No, well, That's a great point. And, you know, one of my friends who does a fair number of lectures, also a retired uh, naval officer, four-star admiral, was head of um, NATO's um, forces years ago when he was in uniform. And he talks about not building walls, but rather building bridges. And, and I think that's really crucial. Um, and uh, I think we going forward, that's something we really have to do. You know, we've relied a little bit heavily on military power and diplomacy, but uh, we also have economic power. And and the the fourth one that I'm very fond of is we have a cultural power that I think is extremely important. There are a lot of values, uh, whether it's music or movies or sports or whatever, that um, are extremely good exports of the United States around the world, because with the flow of our cultural ideas, uh, our democratic ideas and you know, those kinds of concepts go with them. And I think it's really important that we make that effort, uh, not only to support, you know, the government under siege in Ukraine, but, you know, to be working on our ties to other countries and to make sure, you know, they get assistance for development, make sure they get a bigger taste of American culture. Um, And, uh, you know, educational exchanges are another good way to do this. Um, The more people who come and get a chance to go to school in this country Hopefully, most of them will go back and not only be able to do more for their own country, but go home with an appreciation of what they were able to enjoy here.
0: Very true. It really brings up the UN Sustainable Development Goals and that 2030 Agenda to then show those basic building blocks for building a better future. And I want to thank you as well for your example of selfless engagement to ensure innocent people survive the current daily carnage. And to point out how everyday heroes can offer humanitarian assistance to Ukraine, attempting to remain alive for a future in Ukraine. Thank you so much. And we look forward to hearing about future work that you're involved with. And, and hopefully we can see the end of this conflict very soon.
1: I hope so. Thank you very much for the invitation.